Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. of the coronavirus? That is a question that very likely as a Christian you have fielded. It may be a question that you have openly asked. It is a question that um, uh, leaders, I'm going to describe, you know, state governors of two of the biggest states in the union, New York and Texas. I'm going to describe these men as um, as thought leaders. They are certainly leaders of, um, of large groups of people. In one case, we have a governor who... Um, has basically said in his heart, there is no God. God is not helping. God is not present. God is apparently um, on, you know, on break or vacation. This is a person who professes to be a Roman Catholic. On the other hand, we have an evangelical Christian um, who um, who is viewing things in a very, very different way and communicating. His rhetoric is is very, very different on the matter of where is God in the midst of the coronavirus. So I want you to hear Governor Cuomo in New York. It is directly a result of what you do today. The number is down because we brought the number down. God did not do that. Fate did not do that. Destiny did not do that. A lot of pain and suffering did that. Okay, so what he's talking about there is the, you know, the the flattening of the curve, the reduction of new cases, uh, all of which we are grateful for. The question is whether or not there's any room for faith in the midst of that conversation. The governor of Texas addressing the flattening of the curve there um, in a very, very different way. This is Governor Abbott. Very importantly, I found in the aftermath of that, as I continue to reach out to God, I found God reaching right back out to me. And my relationship with God and Jesus Christ grew even closer after the accidents. And it empowered me to to go on and become the governor of the great state of Texas. My point is this. We're all tested. We're all challenged. Everybody right now. But in your own unique way, every single person watching this today, you have your own tests and your own challenges. And there is a solution. There is something that will support you that you can lean on that will always be there for you. That's Jesus Christ. Governor Abbott there is uh, bearing witness to his own life experience um, of a, a very life-altering, uh, physical-altering auto accident, um, and his own um, coming to Jesus Christ by faith to not only deal with that, but, you know, uh, I'm going to use walk by faith here carefully um, as a person who, you know, does not uh, any longer have legs that are operational. And so, um, when we hear Governor Abbott then in this next clip talk about, talk directly to a congregation, to a church, about not only uh, the things that Governor Cuomo pointed out, which are all those the social distancing efforts, but calling upon God as well. Um, the governor of Texas makes room for God in this conversation where the governor of New York is shutting him out. So let's, uh, let's hear what Governor Abbott had to say on Sunday to the Prestonwood Church. What you all have done as a congregation, 
and what you have prayed for is beginning to be answered. The growth of the coronavirus in Texas is slowing. By people staying at home, by people reducing their interaction with others, we are bending the curve, and that is putting Texas into a position where we are going to be able to begin to open up in safe ways that prevent the transmission of the coronavirus. And, and God's hand is working through the scientists across this great nation by coming up with fast, innovative drugs that will lead to therapeutic remedies that people will be able to take, and then eventually immunization that will get us beyond this episode in our lives. So that's ultimately the question, right? They are both they are both governors are recognizing the importance of social distancing. They're recognizing the importance of um, people doing their part. But on the one hand, God is completely shut out of uh, of the worldview. There's no room for God in Governor Cuomo's comments. Um, God did not do that. He very specifically said faith did not do that. Um, a lot of pain and suffering did that. Uh, he's talking about math, and then he's talking about science, and he is talking about human effort. And so I think that the question then that I would put out there before us today, as we hear the, <clears throat> the testimony of Governor Abbott in, in Texas, I just simply lift up, you know, the question um, of God's involvement in real life, in real matters today. If God is the God of the Bible, then God is present and God is active and God is powerful. And in God's providence, he is working out um, his will in the midst of this. And there are lots of questions that you can ask about how God is engaged. But the question of whether or not God is engaged comes down to whether, whether or not you believe God is. So this is either, this is, this is sort of the ultimate test of faith. If you don't even believe that God is, then it doesn't really matter what you believe about him beyond that. All right, next up, I've got Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. He and I are going to talk about the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on vulnerable communities. We'll be right back. Joining me now is Justin Gibney from the Ann Campaign. Welcome back, sir. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Justin, we have uh, we've had an opportunity to have conversations here during the program um, with other guests, highlighting uh, the disproportionate impact of COVID nineteen on um, on the homeless um, and other vulnerable communities, um, but one that we have not really focused on are those who are incarcerated. Could you just give us a sense of what is what is happening uh, in terms of prison populations right now? Yeah, well, I mean, we all understand the uh, the kind of space that prisoners are in, right? They're, they're, you can't really social distance in, in a prison. And so uh, once COVID-19 gets into a prison system, I mean, it can really wreak havoc. And so uh, in, in a lot of instances, these uh, folks are just kind of sitting and waiting. And if we don't do something to kind of uh, uh, give them a little more protection, they're in a very risky position just based on the nature of, of a prison. Uh, and so that's something that we should all be concerned about. And I know that there are, you know, there are conversations and efforts um, to offer clemency, let's say, to older, um, older individuals who are incarcerated, who have, you know, they they are past the point where 
Um, they are any any sort of threat to society. Um, and can you just tell us what what kinds of things are you hearing in terms of the conversations related to? I don't know leniency, clemency. Um, what what's happening out there in this in this part of the conversation? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that people are trying to do is, um, you know, makes make it so these prisons aren't so packed and so the spread wouldn't be uh, so bad. And so some of the first people that they're looking to are sometimes older, um, uh, older folks who are, who are imprisoned and also uh, just folks who are nonviolent criminals. Right. So f- folks who were saying they're not if they if they're out on the street, they're not a huge threat as far as violence goes. But I, I think it's always good to review where we can, you know, um, give some mercy in these situations. And I think especially when you have a crisis like this that th- is threatening the lives of some of these folks who are imprisoned, uh, I think it's a good opportunity to, um, you know, give people an opportunity to uh, uh, to get to get out and, and lessen that population. I think you use the word mercy there, and I think that's an important um, word for us to recognize. I guarantee you um, that there are people listening right now um, whose whose hearts don't ache for those who are incarcerated. Um, you know, they they did something, uh, and justice is being served, um, and and there's no mercy. Can you just speak to that concern, justice? is it includes mercy if we are going to approach it from a biblical viewpoint absolutely and and, I, and uh, you know to be clear nobody is saying that when someone uh commits a crime that we're not we're not thinking of the victims and that we don't want to prevent that crime from happening but there are times and i think we need to be very thoughtful about the fact that justice does include mercy and the truth of the matter is for christians but for god's mercy uh, we would be in a similar situation as as those folks who are imprisoned, right? It's not it's not our righteousness. We don't have any righteousness of our own that kept us out of that situation. It is the grace and, and mercy of God, and so we should reflect that uh, while at the same time understanding that uh, there are victims and we need to be thoughtful in how we do it, but always trying to find ways to be merciful and 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 have a justice that kind of exceeds the justice of secular society. I'm talking with Justin Gibney. Um, he's an attorney. That's one of the things you should know. He 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 is concerned about justice, um, and he is also concerned about mercy. Um, and so we want to talk uh, a little bit more um, about this going forward. He's also pro-life. And so when we come back from the break, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Justin um, about this move in uh, in Tennessee by the state Democratic Party um, to to actually take a move against Representative John DeBerry, um, who will now not be uh, on the Democratic Party, um, uh, what do you call that, the, the, the election before the election, the, the ticket. Yeah, thank you, the primary ballot um, by state party action. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Justin to respond to that. He's got a little bit of experience with this kind of thing. We'll be right back. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run to borders to be the same. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney, uh, he serves with the AND campaign. So, Justin, um, Representative John DeBerry uh, has represented a uh, has been a state house rep in Tennessee for a district in Memphis um, for 26 years. And this past week, 
the Tennessee Democratic Party Executive Committee voted to remove him from the August 6th primary ballot. Um, and they did so in in a way that now prevents him from being able to run as an independent um, because it's past the deadline for uh, his ability to do so. So a write-in campaign is the only path he would have to re-election. Talk about why this guy and why now. Yeah, good question. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't have all the, the history that goes into this. I know that there are some votes that he has taken that um, – the party didn't like, and there's some accusations that he has worked, you know, the terrible thing of working with uh, Republicans. Uh, but but at the end of the day, this this is just something that, that shouldn't happen. Uh, when you have someone who's worked in the party for 26 years, and it's not really even about the party, it's about the fact that the people voted for him for that long. And so the people in his community, the people that he's been taking care of, uh, voted for him and think he's the right person to be in that office for a party to remove someone from the primary ballot so that they can't even run is hugely problematic. If you think he's not the best Democrat, then maybe another Democrat should run against him. But they should both be able to run in the way that um, they kind of stripped him of, of his ability to run uh, goes into something that the AND campaign has been talking about for a while, which is something that we call a religious ex exclusion. And in a lot of urban areas, um, Christians and folks who are pro-life are in, a, in different ways being prevented from actually being able to run or they're, you know, they're being uh, maligned in a way that just is completely unfair and uh, and it really it needs to stop and and one of the things we have to do is draw more attention to these instances because as long as they can kind of isolate one person here and another person there then they'll get away with it but one thing I bet they will never say is that we don't want the people who think like you to vote for us because if that's the case then they wouldn't win anything uh, in, in any state uh, so you know if, if, if the stance is going to be that you know you know, we don't want you to serve or we don't think you're fit to be in office. Well, then the people that agree with him that are, you know, that are in his community and in, in the Democratic Party need to know that uh, if that's going to be their stance. So he happens to be African-American uh, and he happens to be pro-life. And he happens to uh, work in a bipartisan way across the aisle uh, in the Tennessee State House. Why are those not good or okay things in term he also happens to be an ordained church of christ minister i mean you know mm -hmm. he he's he's a good guy um why 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 eliminate that kind of a person i'm not asking you to tell me why the the state party in tennessee did it i'm telling you to give me a window into the rationale that would that would lead a group of people to say this is not the kind of guy we want yeah, well, I think I think it's about the kind of sacred calves, right? Uh, I think in each party, there are certain things that uh, the party wants to make it, make it clear they are not going to accept you not supporting. And abortion is just one of those issues uh, that they are not. They say that they're saying they're not going to compromise on. Uh, and so you get into a situation where when you have interest groups, the people who, who are funding uh, these campaigns, the people who are funding the party, when they say, hey, we want to you know, kind of get rid of all the people that are representing that, then that's, you know, then that's just really just what you do. And I think one of the things, especially in, in my party, that's happening is almost preventing people from believing that one can be a Democrat and be pro-life. If you can eliminate all the 
elected officials, which for the most part they have, right? If you can eliminate those elect- elected officials and silence those voices, then you can almost pre- pretend that they don't exist. Uh, but they do exist, and I think um, the party will see that that this is going to fail and that they need to um, embrace you know, people who are pro-life, which, you know, if you look in uh, places like Louisiana, they do, right? So this is not a completely party-wide uh, position. There are some states and some areas where you do see that and, and that they're not running away from that pro-life voice. But this is something serious that uh, we need to deal with. You have a little um, you have a little experience with this. Share with people um, your story related to this. Yeah, sure. So uh, I ran to be a delegate uh, at the Democratic National Convention in 2016, uh, part uh, and I re- was really just a, a protest delegate, so to speak. Uh, and part of my uh, platform and what I spoke on uh, when I when I spoke uh, for the selection process was a pro-life ethic uh, and, and to say that, you know, Christians and pro-life people should have a place at the table. After that happened, uh, some people tried to get me. I, we Well, I, number one, I won. Uh, and then after uh, that happened, some folks tried to get me removed from the the delegation, uh, but were unsuccessful. So, Justin, I, uh, I first of all, I just appreciate your your willingness to to continue the conversation. Um, you know, as a Christian, uh, as a person who is pro life, as a person who lives in an urban environment, um, and as a person who, you know, has just experienced some unfairness in the process, but you continue to engage. Talk with people about the importance of continuing to engage, even when the system or portions of the system disappoint us. Yeah, it's, it's just about perseverance. I mean, I, I try to keep my eye on uh, the mission that I feel God has given me. Uh, and so when you do that, quitting just isn't an option, right? Because I'm not doing this because I'm trying to avoid getting my feelings hurt or I want everybody to like me. I'm doing it because that's what I feel God has called me to do. And so there isn't really an option of quitting. Uh, we move forward. And even if we lose a political battle, if we said the right things and represented the right things, then we've won in a way that uh, we can't win if we compromise. Justin, as always, um, thank you so much for you know, just illuminating portions of the conversation that we might not be having in our own little silos. Um, I want to circle back and just answer one listener question. Phyllis asked of our earlier, of the earlier conversation that we were having about incarcerated individuals. Um, She says, listening to you right now about early release for some folks from prison, I'm assuming um, that uh, you're talking here about how they will also be supported Um, where they would live. Not everyone has a family to take them in. Could you please speak to this? Um, I answered Phyllis by assuring her um, that that there is there is evidence of a return to criminal behavior by some uh, New York City um, jail releasees. However, the long term incarcerated, these elderly people who are seeking clemency, who have served a long time, actually have families advocating for them and resources that would be supporting them upon release. But that is a really good question. So, Phyllis, thank you for asking it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that there are, you know, there's a process that they go through for this. And so, you know, most of the time they're not just completely throwing people out on the street. But then but then again, it's another opportunity for the church to step in. Right. Um, When we have the opportunity to advocate for people or to find ways to make sure that they land on their feet, that's something that we should be doing. So, you know, as you know, Carmen, I'm one of those people who says don't don't wait for everyone else to do it and say, well, why? Why? Why don't we have something for this? Look into it. And if, if there's a need, sometimes we have to fill the need. I just love that. I know there's a church in Houston, First Presbyterian Church in Houston, Texas, that that's really their heart. They they kind of like set up shop um, where they know that the bus drops off 
uh, those who've been released from um, from some of those supermax facilities in Texas because they realize those people literally have nowhere to go. And if you have nowhere to go, um, then you're going to go back to where you came from. And so we don't want people to do that. We want them to go forward into a positive future. So, Justin, thank you so much. As always, you can find Justin Gibney at the AND campaign. We'll be right back. Relationships are challenging. Uh, For those of you who are women, um, you have a mom for sure. Uh, You may also have daughters. And relationships between mothers and daughters can be messy. They can be hurtful. Um, We are human after all. And so uh, up next, I have a mother-daughter combo. They have written a book together entitled Mended. Um, And... This conversation with Helen and Blythe, the the mother and uh, and daughter here, um, are going to share with us about the restoration of their own relationship, but also give us hope for the way we might work to mend through forgiveness uh, the relationships that we have with our moms and our daughters. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lakato reading from the book of Jeremiah. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, nor the mighty in their strength, nor the rich in their wealth. Whoever boasts must boast in this, that he understands and knows me. We can know the designer of the Grand Canyon, the human eye, Mount Everest, and the Milky Way galaxy. We cannot emphasize this enough. God wants us to know him. You know, it's impossible to know the meaning of life. We don't know the maker of life. And the maker of life is willing to be our teacher. Jesus came as our guide. He reveals wisdom and truth. We can know not just facts about God, but we can know his heart, his joy, his passion, his plan, and his sorrows. We're not left alone with our wanderings and our wonderings. We have a teacher. And his name, Jesus Christ. This is Max Lucado. my delight to welcome to the program Helen McIntosh. She's the mom in this relationship. She's also a counselor, a speaker, speaker, and educator, and author of her own books. And then her daughter, Blythe Daniel, who is a literary agent and an author as well. You may recognize Blythe from Proverbs 31 Ministries, Focus on the Family, and um, and other outlets that we uh, we frequently read and, and feature here on the program. Helen and Blythe, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. It's a delight to have the two of you here. Um, uh, let's, um, this will, I'll just start, I'll just go back and forth. I'll ping pong. Blythe, let me ask you a question. So um, what is it that gets frayed or torn and therefore needs to be mended as daughters in our relationships with our moms? What are What are the what are the sources of the need for reconciliation and restoration in the mother-daughter relationship? You know, Carmen, words are so powerful, aren't they? And the words that we receive as daughters, sometimes from our moms, 
can can really develop um, places of deep wounds. I know that sometimes I can tell my children something and I could instantly tell that it wasn't the right phrase to say their hearts, their faces, their faces show it. So the wounds, the need for a book about mending relationships really comes from the words that we've received and from the actions that have either been done to us or not been done for us. Um, there's just some deep history that comes in these relationships between mothers and daughters, because as the daughters, oftentimes we bear the image of our mothers. We look like our moms. We talk like our moms. So there's a connection there. And often that connection can be hurtful. And so that's what we are wanting to um, share with, with those who are listening is that repairs can be made between us as mothers and daughters and sometimes often need to be. So Helen and Blythe wrote this book together. It is Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters. Um, Helen, you're the, you know, you're the mom here, but it occurs to me you're also a daughter. And so let's talk a little bit about the generational reality. Like we, we experience relationships not just in isolation, but as in continuity with the other relationships we've had in our own lives. So talk a little bit about the mom in this scenario um, and 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 yet you are also a person who is a daughter. Correct. Oh, Carmen, you've said it well. And because of the damage that my mom had on my heart, I purposed to try and undo that pattern with life. So generations, it's good that God has talked a lot about generational patterns. And um, so what we have done is to try and put out there some wonderful words to invite reconciliation and restoration. I mean, that is so God's heart. And that's, we're seeing now with all this social distancing, how we, we really don't like to be distanced from one another. And we, uh, sometimes we do that for protection, but in the higher sense, we long to be connected well and so that is splice in our heart. And we love being repairs of the breach. And we've learned so much in our own history and hopefully have broken some generational patterns for our own family. Well, I think that's one of the um, really strong takeaways of, of this book. And again, uh, friends, if you're listening, the book we're discussing is Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters. Um one of the really strong takeaways is I am not powerless uh, to seek reconciliation and restoration in my relationship with my mom. Um, and uh, I, I don't have to like win. Like it's not the, the relationship is more important than my opinions about things or um, whether or not I ever change or she ever changes. Like, right, talk a little bit about, and maybe Blythe will, will jump back to you, talk a little bit about um, some of those dynamics. Just that I, I really can't be seeking to change my mom. She can't be seeking to change me. We're both adults now. Um, just talk about that space and place. Sure. So, you know, we have this sense in us as mothers and daughters that we want things to go the way we, we want them to. And so we are, as you said, we are um, 
we are not powerless in that God has given us his Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and in, in knowing what to say to each other and to have humility before each other rather than try to control each other. Like we can't be responsible for the other person's actions or decisions. And so we can put ourselves to the other person and say, you know, I want to take responsibility for my words. I realize that those things could have hurt you and I, and I want to ask your forgiveness and, you know, whether the person says yes or no, uh, I'm not in a place that I want to receive what you have, you know, we are putting ourselves out there. It really is a bold step that we're talking about, just making one step towards the other person um, that shows them that you're not wanting to control the situation and use the situation to control your relationship. It's that you want to come before each other in humility. And I think that's what has been missing so much in relationships is that because we want to be right and because we want to desperately um, give our opinion, it actually isolates us from a mother or daughter. And so recognizing that, you know, what we desire is relationship that needs to come more so than that needs to come to the forefront of being right is just putting the relationship above you, above your differences. Okay. So one of my favorite parts of the book uh, are the conversation starters. Um, because I think that for a lot of people, like, right, we really need something written on an index card in our pocket that we can pull out and then, right, to get us started. So um, I don't know which one of you wants to take that as a, Helen, let's let's pop back to you. Give us some of the conversation <laughs> okay. starters in the book. Well, um, the first phrase might, you, it might sound something like this. I long for, for us to be restored. What do you think it might, what do you think we need to do to make things better? So again, it's, you express your wish um, to be restored, and then you ask, what do you think we need to do to make things better? So there's the wish at the, at the front of the paragraph or the couple of sentences, and then, and then you ask, them what they think it might take to make things better. Um, we have dozens and dozens of conversational starters, but that's pretty much the outline that you'll see. It's very humble and very um, approachable. It's polite. In other words, who? it's not like you're coming to them and saying, now we need to do this, this, and this. Um, you're you're inviting them to even give their opinion first, and it's 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 very welcoming and has had great results. So that's that's one flavor. <laughs> We're going to take a very brief break, but I want to direct our listeners to the website ourmendedhearts.com. Ourmendedhearts.com. I'm going to continue my conversation with Blythe Daniel and Helen McIntosh about the book they have co-authored together as mother and daughter, Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Helen McIntosh and Blythe Daniel. They are the co-authors of Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters. In this book, they share um, how they have built, guarded, and renewed a relationship that's centered around respecting, listening, and then talking. It is a book um, full of conversation starters and ways that you can re-engage, um, particularly if there is some 
mending that needs to happen in your relationship with your daughter or with your mom. Um, you can find them at OurMendedHearts.com. We also have a few copies of the book uh, to give away. You could text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Blythe and, and Helen, uh, again, welcome and thank you so much for being with us here today. Maybe let's do some um, guidelines and boundaries. I think that part of what uh, moms of of girls want to know is how can I maybe do it better than I experienced it? And so, um, Blythe, maybe we'll pitch this to you. Um, what are some guidelines and boundaries that uh, you you have set maybe in your own home um, with the goal of building trusting, fruitful relationships with girls? Sure. You know, I can tell you that I've learned a lot from when I've come across to my daughters as more of a dictator, more of a, this is what you're going to do today. I need you to do this rather than inviting them into, um, what do you think we need to do in order to get through the schoolwork that we need to get done today and then still have time to do some things together. So bringing them, bringing your daughters into the process of how you do family life, um, I think is so important that you're still their, their mom. You're still the one who is responsible for shepherding them as unto the Lord. But when you invite them in to ask them, how do you think we ought to do this today? They feel a sense of familiness. They, they feel a sense of the solution. And so I think a lot of times we just want to get things done and we want to tell our daughters, this is what I need you to do. And this is what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. And it feels very, um, I think relationless, you know, it feels like to them that you're talking down. And so I feel like when we can come around our daughters and support them and love them and bring them into our family and into a closer relationship, asking them, what do you think about this issue? What do you think about being home right now without being around your friends? Um, I just have found that anytime I want to get something done by them, that when I show up in a relational way, it actually helps them accomplish that thing that I really want them to do. And relationship always drives out love, always drives out fear. And so the relationship is really the key part and how you come about that is so important, our tone and our voice and, and how we come across to our daughters. So that's what I would share with you. Helen, when you reflect on your daughter who is now a mother, um, how about we just have Helen talk directly to Blythe about what, <laughs> Helen, what do you appreciate about the way she is raising her girls? Oh, goodness. I am so, so blown away. She's just doing a great job. Again, we have learned through failure. We know how what what does cause problems. And so it is a great joy that I'm getting to see her uh, handle her her relationships with her children so well it's it's just absolutely wonderful it's how it was meant to be we're seeing how relational we are as creatures and uh, but i see how god knew we'd be messing up we we love all the r words we see in scriptures like isaiah 58 12 where god encourages us to be repairs of the breach and to be, rebuild and restore. So uh, what I have enjoyed seeing Blythe do is when and if she has a broken conversation with her darling children, 
she does know how to jump back on track and she knows how to restore the breach. Uh, she she's just doing a great job. <laughs> so there's one. Oh, I know you are. And I wanted to give you the opportunity to say that, because I think that as daughters, um, one of the things that we love to uh, receive is affirmation by our moms. And so my mom is uh, is good at giving affirmation to my sister and I. And so I just wanted to give you that opportunity because it's kind of fun to celebrate one another in public. <laughs> Um, one of the, I think one of the great challenges uh, as an adult daughter, you know, with a with a mom who is very competent and gifted and talented, um, and with a sister who is likewise, we are all pretty dominant in in our own circles and spheres of influence. And then when those spheres of influence intersect with one another, uh, it's kind of hard, right, to sort out uh, who. Who is in? Who was in charge? Who's in charge now? Um, advice, expectations, counsel. Could you just speak into the reality of uh, of adult relationships and and how that changes over time? Um, maybe we ought to give up on giving one another advice, and maybe we ought to give up on having particular expectations of one another. You know, I can speak as a daughter. Um, to that. And, and I think that um, mom and I went through a difficult season a couple of years ago when she was going through chemotherapy. And it was a season in which I found myself asking her if I could, um, if I could do these things for her, and if I could share what I felt like might need to happen for her health. And so it was kind of a role reversal. It was me encouraging her, me saying, Mom, I think that this is what you're going to need next. Are you okay with that? And, you know, so I feel like there's, there was a shift in our relationship where it wasn't the mother talking down to the daughter. It was the daughter appealing to the mother. And I think that there are seasons where that needs to happen. And of course, I never want to dominate her and she doesn't want to dominate me. And so we've learned that it's, it's better to say, is it okay if I give you a suggestion? Is it okay if I give you some input? Because if you come across saying, well, here's what I want to tell you that you need to do, or here's, here's the advice I'm going to give you. We automatically, and part of us just sort of re, just recoils at that because we don't like to be told what to do. It signals to us that we, we couldn't come up with that on our own and we don't like being given advice. So from a daughter's perspective, that's what, what I would share is that sometimes those roles reverse and sometimes there's a season for how we approach our mother or daughter, but always with the idea of, is it okay for me to share this with you? I love the, um, the asking. It, it really, it's, it gives the other person the opportunity to um, either invite or resist um, our, our counsel, our input. And I think that's really helpful. Uh, I know that in the midst of, uh, of this situation that we're all in right now, <clears throat> um, conversations with my you know, 80 plus year old parents um, has been a little different. I mean, my sister and I have been very concerned about them. They are in a high risk population and we want them to be uh, protected against, you know, the coronavirus. Right. And so um, early on, we were a little directive. And I've realized that, you know, they're just as concerned for their own welfare as we are. Um, <laughs> and so that's uh, still a learning process. You know, I'm 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 51. It's still a learning process. It really is. Mom, what have you seen that's, you know, because I know that just lately with me, you know, checking on you and in, in, in the situation, um, how have you taken that? Because I know that's been challenging for you. Thanks. 
Thanks. Uh, you put on that top bun really well. <laughs> you have invited yourself in well, and I think anything that follows that conversation is a good, a good, good thing. Yes, to burst in and be directive is difficult for most relationships, but I'm, I'm sure our listeners understand what we're talking about, that um, being told what to do is just a little difficult. So I've encouraged people to pretend that they were, a conversation would be like, like a, a juicy hamburger, that the concern is the meat, but the the, it's really important to put on that top bun with all the sesame seeds you can muster. <laughs> and the bottom bun is, of course, saying that. Thank you. I know we'll do better. <laughs> I love so. that. I love that image. I love that image. Thank you so much. Helen McIntosh and Blythe Daniel, the dynamic uh, mother-daughter combination here today. You can find them at OurMendedHearts.com. OurMendedHearts.com. Uh, the book is... Mended, Restoring the Hearts of Mothers and Daughters. We do have copies uh, to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank Thank you so much. What a joy. All right, reach out to those people um, who are near and dear to your heart today. Seek reconciliation where it needs to happen. Uh, Be a blessing out there in the world that God so loves. It is Taste and See Tuesday, so be sure that through you, others can taste and see that the Lord is good. Have a great day, and God bless. All right, I don't know about you, but I get very excited when I talk with fellow believers about what God is doing around the world in the hearts and lives of people who just yesterday or an hour ago or 10 minutes ago did not know the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. They did not know um, that there was hope, not only, um, you know, hope that springs eternal, but hope right here and right now. You and I get to be witnesses of that gospel today. You and I get to be ambassadors of that king and that kingdom and its principles today. Every place, every time, every conversation is an opportunity um, to be people who are light in the midst of darkness, people who are um, possessed of the peace of Christ in a world that is fractured and people are full of fear. So what are you going to be full of today? What are you going to be full of today? Because the world is going to squeeze us, right? The circumstances of life are going to squeeze us. That house you are in is going to squeeze you today. Um, finances are squeezed. Tensions are, are running high. So when the world squeezes you today in whatever way that's going to happen, what's going to come out of you is what you're full of. And so I'm going to encourage you to be a person who is full of grace and truth. Invite God by the power of his Holy Spirit right now to fill you afresh and anew, to revive your heart, to revive your spirit, to revive your passion for the gospel. Easter is not a day on the calendar. Easter is a reality in which we live each and every moment of a resurrected life to the glory of God and to the edification of others that more and more people might come to know the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. So let's be full of that today.
Have a great day. And God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.